A series of fictional books written by a heroin junkie results in a double homicide. And then we take a look at a terrifying story of a plant man. It starts off kind of funny, but once you start connecting the dots, you realize that no place may be safe from the plant man. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. The weather is not warm, but it's sunny. The snow is finally melting away like God intended. Who doesn't like snow either? There's no snow in heaven. And the reason why hell is on fire, because there's no snow down there as well. Snow is an affront to God and nature. Snow is evil, but the snowy days have ended all over the globe. Even Mount Everest completely dry now. It is a beautiful planet. That we all love and share. And I actually, I, I can't wait for global warming myself. It means no more snow. That's awesome. I'll take that. So, we're going to go ahead and get started here. First off, though, I wanted to give a quick, very quick channel shout out to this. There's a YouTube channel called Marijuana Maintenance. This guy has been with Dead Rabbit. He's been a subscriber to Dead Rabbit Radios before I hit 1,000 subs. So, like, right now we're hovering about 2,500, 2,600 subs. So, he's been listening to Dead Rabbit for a long time. And he actually does his own thing where he also does some weird paranormal videos. But at the same time, he's taking fat bong hits and he's talking about the weed that he's smoking. So he has a little bit of the Dead Rabbit paranormal stuff. And then if you're really interested in uh, marijuana, he has that too. I I used to smoke. And I've had a lot of friends who were really into like the blends of the the indica and the, what's the other one? Sativa. Indica. You know, like they were suit, like when you were smoking with them, they could really get into detail about what it was. And that's who marijuana maintenance is. So if you're into, if you're into like the science of marijuana and, and the blends and all that stuff, give it a shot. And he also has some pretty entertaining stuff with paranormal as well. So yeah, but I just wanted to go ahead and give a shout out to a guy who's been supporting the channel for a long time. So what we're going to talk about first is kind of an interesting story. Now, a long time ago, when I was coming up with the idea of Dead Rabbit Recommends, one of the movies that I had that I wanted to talk about was Never Die Alone. And I thought, I I go, you know, because we have a true crime component, I could cover Never Die Alone, just do a little short thing on it. Never Die Alone is a movie came out in the early 2000s. It was directed by Ernest Dickerson, who started off as Spike Lee cinematographer, but then he ended up doing horror movies. He's done a lot of stuff, but he directed Demon Knight, which is one of my favorite movies. And he's directed a bunch of episodes of The Walking Dead. So you have this black crime drama starring a rapper that's shot like a horror movie. So right there you have this weird stark contrast. There are no protagonists in the movie whatsoever. You have basically six characters and they're all working towards their own goals. And they all interfere with each other. And there's no, there's like a main character. But he has to be one of the most reprehensible characters I've seen in mainstream cinema. So DMX plays this drug dealer named King David, who dies 15 minutes into the movie. And then the rest of the movie is everyone reacting to his death and all these little plans going awry. And his flashbacks to how he basically, like, he left the city and then came back and got killed. And we get to learn what happened after he left it. So it's a, a very, it's structured very bizarrely. And so the the B plot is all the characters moving around and the A and there's really it's almost not just plots it's almost just like sets of of really messed up stuff that King David does all of his flashbacks go like this Yo I met this girl man she was really hot so I took her home we banged for a while 
Then she made me mad. So I got her addicted to heroin. Then I met this other girl. And you're like, this is the main character. This is the hero of this story. He's constantly destroying people's lives like it's nothing. And then they just move on to the next scene. And you're like, what is going on with this movie? And it, it's, it's super, it's very just a, an intriguing character study. None of the characters come off in a good light. Even the character who's supposed to be sympathetic, who's a white reporter living the life of, in the hood and trying to learn the black experience, he just comes off like a total, like, douchebag. Like, he comes off as a total tourist in this area that he flat out doesn't belong in because he's getting hunted. It's just a very bizarre movie to watch. It's a very bizarre tale, and it's filmed very well, and it completely flew under the radar. It didn't do good at the box office. It's one of those gems out there that I think even if you're not into, like, urban crime dramas, it really stands out just visually. It's it's just, you feel, you feel like you're intruding on some really dangerous business when you're watching it. I don't know if it's the way that it's shot or the script, but you feel like you, you're basically witnessing a crime when you're watching this movie. And you're like, oh, shit, like, I don't ever want to cross that, dude, which is the sign of a good movie. But see, here's the thing. I was thinking I'll, I'll do a quick little three-minute thing like I just did on Never Die Alone, and that'll be Dead Rabbit Recommends. And I go, I wonder if the guy who wrote, because I knew it was based on a novel. I go, I wonder if the guy who wrote the novel wrote anything else that was turned into a movie. Well, no, but his life should have been turned into a movie. This is the really weird case of Donald Goins. Now, Donald Goins was a black dude who was born into a upper-middle-class, middle-class family back in the 30s. And his family, I believe they lived in Detroit. They had like a laundromat, a a miniature laundromat empire. So they owned all these laundromats. They were very well off. But Donald just couldn't get through school. He was getting picked on. He was getting bullied. Then he started running with a tougher crowd. And his grades were suffering. So then, you can't do this today. He forged documents saying he was 18 and joined the Navy and went to the Korean War. That's not something you can really get away with nowadays. But he did. Back then, they didn't really care. You just have a piece of paper saying, hey, look, it says on it, I'm 17. And a little stick figure drawing of you as an adult. And they're like, you're in. So he goes over there, does his service, honorably discharged. But when he comes back, he has a crippling heroin addiction. So now this kid starts, and well, he's a man now, and he was a man when he joined the Navy, too, he's just with a forged document, he begins committing petty crimes. Larceny, auto theft, stuff like that, just minor stuff, and he, and he did a little bit of pimping, I believe. He ends up getting arrested multiple times, and so he always wanted to write Western novels, which is a weird thing, I think, now, and that's the stereotype. You're like, why would this drug dealer want to write a bunch of Western novels? Which, I mean, but then again, that's all that was on television was Western shows. So it makes sense that even drug dealer would be like, oh, I want to write like Louis L'Amour. But he ends up writing crime dramas instead. He reads ice books by Iceberg Slim, and he goes, I can do that. I can write books about the real-life experiences and the people in my neighborhood that I hang out with. Because he's no longer living in an affluent neighborhood. He's a junkie. So he writes his first book called Dope Fiend about a middle-class woman who descends into drugs. So it's kind of like mirroring his story. And it's gross. People don't want to publish it at first because it's so gritty and realistic. Publishers are like, no, we're not going to do that. Well, finally, a publisher does pick him up and says, tell you what, we'll do it on a contract basis. Contract basically means you get paid up front and you don't get any of the royalties. So he writes this book. He gets paid the contract. He then spends that money on heroin. And then he realizes something. 
I'm really good at writing, and I really, really love heroin. In the next five years, he pumps out 15 books. He's spending like three months per novel, just, and they're selling like hotcakes. This is, he becomes this big author of these type of books. No one was writing books like his, and if they were, they weren't getting as successful. But the people in the neighborhood that he was in were like, yeah, that's really cool. Donnie's getting some money, you know, he's spending it on heroin. That's not cool, but they would read his books too. And they started to realize something. They weren't fictional. He was taking stories that he was hearing, true crimes and murders and horrible things happening that either he witnessed or that his friends were telling him about, writing them in books, selling them. So you know where this story's going. He does this thing for five years. He's in this cycle. He writes a book and then spends all the money on heroin and writes the other book, spends all the money on heroin, writes a book. And he's going on. At this point, he has a common-law wife, a live-in girlfriend. And there's two children there as well. I wasn't able to tell whether or not they were his kids because there's not a lot of detail about this. Most of this stuff, when it happened, it just happened and fell out of the newspaper. And then there was a bunch of coverage about the life of Donald Goines when Never Die Alone came out as the movie, but which was actually one of his last books to write, which, again, the, the, when you watch the movie, it's, there's a lot of details that seem really real, and I'm wondering if that is the book that sparked this off. But there's not a lot of information about this dude. Even though I read an article in the New York Times about him, and they didn't really have much more information than I found when I pulled up the Wikipedia article. So, it's October 4th, 1974, and legend has it that Donald was at his typewriter writing his next novel. When a bullet goes through his brain, (laughs) kills him on the spot. His live-in girlfriend must have done something, because then whoever the murderer or murderers were followed her into the kitchen. Either she was running away, or she was in there, and she heard the gunshot and screamed or whatever, and they executed her in the kitchen. The two kids in the house weren't touched, never saw the killer or killers. 1974, cold case, never been solved, no leads, nothing. Now, some people say that he might have been killed over a drug debt. But then you think, killing someone over a drug debt, a person who's currently making money, you're never getting your money. So the other theory became, and really, it seems like the cops in 1974 really didn't care. I'm sure they did an investigation, but there's just nothing ever came out of it. As far as they're concerned, a black junkie got shot in a bad neighborhood. And thank God the kids didn't get hurt. Let's move on to the next case. But as time has gone on, people have thought, and even people in the neighborhood at the time thought, Donnie got shot because he's talking too much. You can write books and say they're fictional, but if the people that you're writing about know what you're doing, They're going to have a problem with this. They're going to come after you. It's possible that Donald thought he was untouchable. It's possible that he thought that... Well, it's possible he wasn't thinking at all. He just wanted heroin. He didn't care how he got it. Instead of stealing physical items, he was stealing people's stories. It's also possible that the stories were completely fictional and people just thought they were a little too close to reality. But the fact of the matter is, is that Donald died... At the age, he was born in 1938, he died in 74, so he was, what is that, like 30-something? Young man. He died. His mother had him buried with a book. I don't know which book, it wasn't revealed, and I don't think anyone really knows now, because the book was stolen out of his grave. 
Was that the book that held the answers to why he was killed? Is that the book that had the characters that were based too closely on real-life people that had him killed? Did someone just want to be a jerk and not let him have reading material in the afterlife? It's a bizarre story, and it shows that sometimes when you have the creative people rub up against the wrong people, these things can happen. You can be looking for inspiration, but it could be inspiration in all the wrong places. So if you ever do watch Never Die Alone, just remember this movie involving all these horrible people quite likely in some fashion actually happened. The reason why the story structure is just a bunch of little elements is because those elements are probably based on real life. And the movie you're watching may have gotten its writer killed. Okay, so the next story, this story, it was really weird for me. This next story was really weird for me. It's not a crazy conspiracy. It started off as, that's a funny cryptid, and then happenstance happened. The first time I came across the story of the plant man, I just kind of stumbled across it, because I'm always looking for weird stuff. I'm always looking, obviously, that's why I have this podcast, but I'm always looking for bizarre stuff. Always clicking around, following links, rabbit holes, stuff like that. And I came across a cryptid with only one confirmed sighting. So that usually means one of two things. It's totally made up and the guy's just pulling a hoax or he had some sort of mental breakdown or something like that. Or it's just a cryptid that we haven't seen. Now, it's usually the first one. It's almost always when someone's like, yeah, I was walking on the street and a giant banana came after me. You're like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, it's most likely fake. As the giant banana's attacking you, you're like, I still don't believe it. But came across the Plant Man one and I kind of like those one-off cryptids. I kind of, I think it's creepier. I think running into a cryptid no one else has run into and the story being true is creepier than running into a Bigfoot. Maybe I'm just being a contrarian. Maybe Bigfoot is too big. Uh, Bigfoot is so 1963. Like, I want the plant man. But let's get into the plant man real quick. And we're going to go a couple different places for this. So we're... It's been a while, guys. Let's hop in the carpenter copter. Because we got a lot of traveling to do. So Now you notice that the 50 cal machine guns have been replaced with something. We have giant containers of Roundup. And each of us have to take... Well, I'm piloting the helicopter. I don't know what you guys are doing. But you guys better be holding on to a giant thing of Roundup. Because we got some spraying to... You got some spraying to do? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was racist or just a bad impression. Or both. The year is 1968. The place, Rivesville, West Virginia. And we're flying our helicopter over. And moving around the mountains along a trail, we see Jennings Frederick. Which sounds like the name should be the opposite. It should be Frederick Jennings. But I checked my notes several times. It's Jennings Frederick. He's out there. Just hunting. Just doing his thing. Enjoying nature. Trying to ignore the loud helicopter flying overhead. And he hears something. He describe he can't make out the words, but he describes it as a voice being played on a fast forward like tape recorder, like no 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 like chipmunks, but a little you know what I mean, like when you hit fast forward on something and it speeds up. So he can't make out what it's saying, but he hears this voice, and he goes, "It's weird because it was like I could hear it audibly, but then I also felt like I was hearing it in my head, but I couldn't make sense of it at all." He hears it over and over and over again. And then he sees what's making the noise. What he sees is he describes as a plant man. He said it was taller than him with an impossibly skinny body, almost like a reed 
by a river. Just a super skinny body, long skinny arms. Everything's skinny. Everything's skinny. I don't have to keep describing his skinny toes and all this stuff. Everything was skinny. He described him as skeletal, like you could almost just see it was emaciated what he was looking at. Its eyes were yellow, and it's staring at him. Now, he also described it as having these long, triangle-like ears. So they came out of the head and then ended at points of the top. And the, the ears were taller than its head. And he, he's, there's pictures, not photographs, unfortunately, but there's drawings of what he said that it looked like. And on the end of its long, skinny arms, on the, on the end of its long, skinny Franz arms, there are suction cups. And he's watching this creature walk towards him. And now he finally is able to understand what the creature is saying. You need not fear me. I wish to communicate. I come as a friend. We know of you all. I come in peace. I wish medical assistance. I need your help. At that point, he realizes now what it's saying. At the point where the creature says, I need your help. The suction cups open up, and there's needles inside of the suction cups where the hand would, hands would be. It reaches forward, grabs him by the arms, and begins draining blood from Jennings. And Jennings described it as impossibly strong. He couldn't get away, but he could feel blood being sucked out of him. A short while later, I mean, he didn't sit there for like a half hour and be like, so, come here often. Like, it was a, it was a quick suction. The creature lets go, and then, according to Jennings, takes strides away from him up to 25 feet. So his stride, he was basically doing these huge, giant steps. He runs over this hill, and at that point, Jennings hears a... A super loud humming coming from the other side of the hill. And he suspected that was its vehicle. Whatever it was. UFO, underground drilling machine, carpenter copter version 2.0. He doesn't know. He leaves the area. That happened in 1968. And it's interesting because that story came out. And there was like articles in the newspaper. And there was sketch artist drawings of what the creature looked like. And when I was looking at the plant man. I saw several references saying. This creature's never been spotted again. So was it made up? Was it a one-off cryptid? Was it an alien? Nobody knows. But this creature was never spotted again. It wasn't spotted again in the area. wasn't spotted again at all. And I go, that's an interesting way to start an episode. Just a short little story about a cryptid. Now, when I was looking for more information on the plant man, I found something that's kind of similar, but maybe a little unrelated, a little funny. 1966, so two years earlier, in Newport, Oregon, three girls were walking around in the forest. And they see what they describe as three walking tree stumps moving through the forest as well. They had no head, no arms, just root-like legs, and they're walking around. And they were wearing outfits. So, first off, if I just saw a bunch of tree stumps walking around, I'd be like, whoa, dude, that's trippy, but... I would think maybe they, was, they were just like cryptids or fairies or something like that. But these guys were wearing spandex outfits that were like multicolored. They were like yellow and orange and pink and blue. So who knows what to make of that? Were they aliens? Little tree stumps? Just walking around? They hadn't grown properly? I think you know where I'm going with this. Or was it just something the girls made up? But no other additional sightings of those guys either. 
So I'm thinking, ha, that'd be funny if the tree stumps turned into the plant man. And I thought, well, they're probably just two completely unrelated things in other parts of the world. There's no comparison between the two other than the fact that one looks like a plant and the other one was described as a plant. Funny story to put to the beginning of an episode and then I'll do something about something else. That night, I so I read all this stuff. I read all this stuff about Plant Man. And that night, I was like, okay, got that story set up. It's all ready to go. And I'm fiddling around on my phone, and I'm doing more research as I'm in bed. And I see a link for some for something called the Sayama City Incident. Sayama City Incident. So let's hop back in the carpenter copter. We're leaving the little girls in the forest and their tree stumps. We're leaving Jennings and his bleeding hands. We're not offering any assistance. We're just observers. Let's go to Sayama City in Japan. In 1978, so 10 years after the events of the West Virginia plant man, there was a father who's up in the mountains of Sayama City. His name is Haidichi Amano. Haidichi Amano. And he's a ham operator. Not like an operator of pork and pork products, but he is a radio operator, ham radio operator. And the best reception he could get was up in the mountains. But anyway, so he's up in the mountains talking to his brother via ham radio and just kind of messing around. His daughter, his two-year-old daughter, is in the back seat sleeping. This is the best place for him to go. It's a nice little place for her to sleep. Whatever. He's up there. And all of a sudden, it's nighttime, by the way, because I should have said that. All of a sudden, the whole area is bathed in a bright white light. And Haidichi can't figure out where the light's coming from, but it's really, really concerning to him. Also concerning to him because his ham radio isn't working right now. And it doesn't seem like any of the electronics in his car are working. Actually, in 1978, did they have a bunch of electronics in cars? The ham radio actually he definitely wasn't working. I don't think his GPS was going out of control. But so he's, he's sitting there and he has his daughter in his back. So he sees this bright white light coming from somewhere. And so he sticks his head out of his car window and he starts looking around into the night. He's looking all over into the forest, not seeing anything. He looks up. He's not seeing anything in the sky. He's not seeing our helicopter. He gets back into the... Like, he leans his neck back into the car, and that's when he realizes that the white light is coming from inside the car. He, at that point, turns back to look into the back seat where his daughter is sleeping, and she is paralyzed and foaming at the mouth. She's just like... Just like almost frozen, and foam is coming out of her mouth. And in that second, once he realizes that and he begins to turn, he notices in the passenger seat is an alien. But not just any alien. This alien looks identical to the plant man. The differences were that this one wasn't super skinny. He was bulkier, but he had the same face, the exact same ears. And he had this weird little metal pipe sticking out of his mouth. And at that point, no joke, at that point I'm reading the article and Haidichi says, it was saying something, but I couldn't understand what. It sounded like a tape recorder on Fast Forward. As far as I know, no one has ever connected these two events before. At all. I, I, when I was searching for the plant man, they constantly said it was the only time this was seen. When I was looking at the Sayama City thing, no one ever mentioned the plant man in West Virginia. But whatever this creature was appears to be the same. And we'll get a little more into that. But anyways, so Haidichi is sitting in his car and that creature, whatever it was, presses the metal pipe against his head and messages were beamed into Haidichi's head. 
And then the creature just disappeared after, again, an indeterminate amount of time. I don't know how long the blood was being sucked out of Jennings, and they never really say how long this happened. There's a period of lost time. And Haidichi ended up, the creature left, he ended up driving, the car started working again, he went to a police station, he filed a report. It was kind of like this big thing, he kind of became a joke in the area, nobody believed him, and people believed the government was trying to cover it up or whatever. But again, a one-off incident. Oh, the Sayama City incident. Here's this guy. It may be true. It may not. But he met, saw this alien. It's not a gray. It's not what we normally think they look like. It had these weird ears, giant eyeballs. You know, everything was the same. This one also had an indentation of a triangle in its head. So here is my theory. I'm going to leave the little girl and the tree stumps out of it for right now. But it could still play into this. I think it's the same creature. I think it's the same creature. And, and based on the, the humming and the electrical stuff, it most likely is an alien. But it's very one of two scenarios. One, that the creature that Haidichi saw at Sayama City was its natural form. And the one that Jennings ran into actually was injured and sick. That's why it was super emaciated. That's why it was described as skeletal. And by drinking human blood, it was able to return to its healthy form. You could also say that that is simply the life cycle of this plant man. Just like any plant, they start off just kind of like frail and weak. And then with the right nutrients, they get strong with strong roots and strong stems and beautiful flowers and all that stuff. If you take those two things as true, if both of these people who never met each other 10 years apart made up identical stories involving identical stuff, because it's not like the plant man was huge news and they were reading about it in Japan. I mean, there is a chance that the dude in Japan happened to read an article about a one-off sighting in West Virginia and decided to make up the exact same story. But if they're making it up, their best bet would be like, oh, they were greys and they told me to save the environment. They told me that we needed to conserve energy because you know that's all the gray aliens say nowadays. But if we follow the thought line that, and let's throw the little girls in here too. These aliens land and they're basically just stumps. They're root systems. And then they begin to grow into what the plant man, the guy saw in West Virginia, the emaciated saying, I need medical assistance, to its natural, more powerful form, which is what we saw in Sayama City. There's only one nutrient that these guys drink in this story. There's only one thing, if you follow that thought line, there's only one thing that that alien needed to be strong. And that was human blood. Are there plant-like aliens walking around drinking humans' blood to nourish themselves? The idea of aliens drinking blood or using body parts or harvesting humans and stuff like that, that's not a new idea. That's been around in the lore for a long time. But generally, that's what they do on their spaceships. They, like, abduct you or they do it in some sort of clinical laboratory or something like this. What the story of the plant man suggests is that you could be out in the middle of the woods and get attacked by one of these things. The story of the plant man in West Virginia really no longer seems like a one-off cryptid. It actually seems like it's connected to the Sayama City UFO incident. And it needed a little bit of human blood to get itself to grow to its normal form. At the end of the day, may it turn out that humanity, the greatest life form to ever walk across this planet, Someday we'll just become plant food for a race from beyond the stars. 
DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs> <laughs>